I promise, Lord, never again. But I also know that you know what a weak willed person I am. I'm a wonderful person. Well, the gospel for this Monday, Thursday evening comes from St. John, the 13th chapter, beginning at the first verse. Now, before the festival of the Passover... Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray him. And during the supper, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, got up from the table, took off his outer robe and tied a towel around himself. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was tied around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered, you do not know what I am doing, but later you will understand. Peter said to him, you will never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, One who is bathed does not need to wash except for the feet, but is entirely clean. And you are clean, though not all of you. For he knew who was to betray him. For this reason, he said, not all of you are clean. After he had washed their feet, had put on his robe and had returned to the table, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have set you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Please be seated. Let us pray. Gracious God, send forth your spirit by the power of your word to create faith, to forgive sin, and to grow our love for you and for one another. Amen. Peter said to him, you will never wash my feet, Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no share with me. When my family and I moved to northern Minnesota in the summer of 2016, we took time to look for activities to get our children involved in, because, you know, that's a good parenting thing, right? Keep your kids busy, they don't end up in jail, especially pastor's kids. We all know where they're going to end up. It's okay, I'm sorry, son. Liesel, it was easy, all right, because in, in Minnesota, most of the schools are K through 12, so 7th and 8th graders, they actually get to do sports with the high school, and so she just got into varsity swimming, track, all that stuff. Josiah went on a new adventure, and he joined up as a student at a taekwondo school. Now, I'd been an athlete in high school and college, so I understood the whole get my daughter involved in high school sports thing, but neither Carrie nor I are martial artists, so we had no clue what we were getting ourselves into with this, this whole Taekwondo thing, especially when Josiah started at Brett's. What I realized, though, as we got into it, is it's kind of a, a nice parallel to the Christian life. Not exactly, but it's, it's, it's pretty close. Uh, Josiah goes in as a no belt. No belt. Your pants fall down. No belt. 
And he had to learn just a bunch of basic stuff before he could even put on the uniform and put the little white belt on. Right, Josiah? Right? Yeah? And white belt's like the beginning, but he was like not even the beginning. He was like beginning, beginning. Right? That's like, that's like the newbie Christian. Right? Baptized infant, uh, the new convert, the confirmation student who hasn't been to church since they were baptized. I'm not naming any names. But, right, that's, that's the goal. You take this new person and you want to teach them. It's part of the reason why when we do baptisms, we talk about teaching, right? Like training up the children. Um, well, then each consecutive belt was basically the same. You had to learn and show proficiency in, in certain things before, before you could move on. Well, that's kind of like the post-confirmation life, right? You know, kind of like we get you into confirmation. We make sure that you understand, okay, this is what you're signing on to. And then we want to teach you how to actually live out that faith together in a community. To actually be a sinner among other sinners. It's a very hard thing to do, isn't it? It's, it's more than just attendance, right? It's like, okay, teach a class, cook a meal, usher, be a reader, join altar guild, work at the care center, survive a junior high lock-in, right? That should be the goal, at least, is to get you, get you involved, uh, learn what it means to be a Christian together with other, with other Christians. Well, the, the, the testing nights at, at the gym would, would happen around every quarter, uh, three months or so, and, the, and the, each kid would be allowed to test into the next, next belt. They had to show that they could do all the different things, uh, 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 new movements, uh, special kicks, all these things. And sometimes the kids could not do them. Like they couldn't break the, the board with the kick that you had to learn to be able to pass on to like, you know, orange belt or magenta or whatever color you're going for. And the instructor would give them a bunch of chances that night to try and do it. And very rarely would the child get failed. I don't think I ever saw a child get failed, but they would get provisionally qualified. This, even, this happened with you, Josiah, a couple of times, right? Like Master Nick would say, okay, you can, you get the belt, but next week, when you come back for class, you better be able to do this. And if not, then you have to give me the belt back and continue learning. Well, my hope is, is here at church, you don't feel like Pastor Chris and I are going to fail. I'm, I'm hoping that's not going to be the case. I'm hoping that's going to be a place of grace, right? That's it's supposed to be what church is, is, is about. Uh, but at the same time, as Christians, as we study the Word of God together, as we walk through the church year, the liturgical year together, as we encounter the work of the Spirit upon our hearts, we do become convicted, though, right? Of things where we have maybe failed. We, we should become convicted of our sin, we, we, our, our inability. We should become convicted of our, our lack of faith, our, our doubts, with the truth that grace comes to you. It's not something that you create of your own, as, as Josiah's instructor would often offer up grace. It's hopefully said here, uh, keep going. Yes, you failed, but in, but in Christ we have infinity chances because the gospel is permeated by mercy based on one who stole away your sins, stole away your shame, defeated our death, and rose again to prove that it is true. Eventually, Josiah passed his red belt test, which is right before 
black belt. So it's it's getting into the whole black belt requirements thing. And that's like a big investment of time and and energy. It takes a year or more. Plus, it's a kind of a big deal, right? Black belt. We see Bruce Lee, right? Jackie Chan, you know, breaking boards with your face and, you know, those sorts of things. Well, he never got the chance to test for his black belt because other things got in the way, like swimming and track and all that stuff, plus a pandemic. Just if you're wondering, there's this thing that came in 2020, the year that he was supposed to maybe get... Yeah, never mind. Um, but I remember the day that he passed the test, and I'm, I'm thinking, all right, man, dude, pretty soon we'll have a black belt in the house. No, no worries about intruders. We don't need a dog. We're good. Be awesome. Because it should be a big deal. It's black belt. It's no measly red belt, brown belt, yellow, green, purple, blue, chartreuse. It's black. It's power. It's cool. You think that once you get the black belt, you're like, I've made it. I am king of the universe. Well, actually, no. Because you see, then there's degrees of black belt. Okay? Like Master Nick. Sixth degree black belt in Taekwondo. Starting for years. His, the Grand Poobah, the organization that he's part of, is like ninth degree black belt. And that's a big deal. Plus, Master Nick looked, looked kind of cool. Right, Josiah? His uniform, black belt with the stripes on it. Also, it looked really cool. You're like, oh, dude, I want to look like that. But the funny thing is, is that you go to their website and you read Master Nick's bio. And it doesn't say he has been a black belt for blah, blah, blah years. What it says was, is he has been a student of Taekwondo for 31 years. Someone who's able to say, I may be master in title, but I'm a student. I, I, I haven't made it. I'm still growing. I'm still learning. And I fail. Have you ever thought of that? Don't students fail? Teachers? Am I right? We don't like to talk about that, do we? But students do fail sometimes at things we ask them to do. In the church, we are often in danger, and and I've talked about this a billion times, but in conversations I've had with a lot of you, I feel like I have to do it until we have it memorized. Uh, We go down two directions, usually. One way is, I need to become king of the castle, and I'm not. I need to make it, but I haven't yet. And so we work at being better, uh, being more holy, being more faithful, being a better Christian, whatever that means. If I could just be more perfect as a disciple, then God will love me. Usually this leads to some sort of neurosis of never finding Jesus to be enough. We We have to get that new belt of Christian spirituality and show it off. And Maybe tonight you heard me read from from John 13, and you get latched on to those last two verses, verses 14 and 15. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've set you an example that you should do as I have done to you. You read ought, and you read should, and you think, I ought and I should. Pretty self-explanatory. You cry out with Peter, not only my feet, but my head and my hands too. You want to make sure that there's no problems whatsoever. You want it all. You need it all. You hear Jesus say, not all of you are clean. And that freaks you out a little bit. 
You start wondering, is he talking about me? Does he know something? Am I clean enough? Am I clean at all? What's worse is if you have Jesus come to you to wash you by his word and his blood poured out for you, and you speak with Peter, heck no, you'll never wash me. I'll do it myself. I have to prove my worth to you, Jesus, but you're never going to wash me. Tonight in churches all over the world, uh, Pastor Chris and I have some colleagues who are literally washing feet in church. Many of you have probably participated in that, as though that was the point of the story. We think we need to become like Jesus in every way. So if, if he strips down and wears a towel and washes feet, I better strip down in front of you all tonight, put a towel around my waist, and wash your feet. I promise it's not going to happen tonight. You're welcome. We have this innate concern of wanting to make ourselves cleaner than we were yesterday. Uh, washing machine Christianity. Clean the spots myself. Get things perfect. And I can't let you or even Jesus do the laundry for me because you might put your red socks in with my white shirt and then there's just going to be some problems. The truth for you tonight, if you're in this category, is that what Christ is talking about is not about an ought or should, but about what his work has done for you already. A work that causes us to see ourselves in our sin and realize that he is the remedy, not us. Knowing that there is no making it here for you. There is no castle. There's no kingdom for you to gain by your own power or strength. There's no prestige. There's no awesomeness. There's no black belt Christianity. If the life of the Christian is that mindset for you tonight, let me ask you, what of Christ? What has he done for you? If he has done something for you, was it enough? Because I need to break it to you tonight, and, and I need you to hear this, and you're probably going to take it the wrong way, and I don't care. You can email Pastor Chris. <laughs> you will never be enough. A large percentage of you have anxiety disorders in this room right now because you're concerned and obsessed with wanting to be enough. And you will never be enough because you can't be. In fact, not being enough and thinking you need to do more or be more is a perfect sign that the law has done its work. That you've been convicted of your sin. Church, you are the least. You are the last, and that's okay. You're the sinners that Jesus wants to party with. You're the broken ones that the physician has come to heal. See those words, ought and should, not as demands for your, your own perfection or prescriptions for the Christian life, but as predictions that you are not able to meet the standard. You will never be Jesus, which is why he came in the first place. Well, the second direction we go, the, the other side of the coin uh, we, we might go is, is the very one that gets many of us without even knowing it. It's the, oh, I made it side. Look at me, I'm awesome. Maybe you do a lot around here, and I'm thankful for that. Uh, 
You give more. I'm even more thankful for that because I've got a teenager to feed. (laughs) You sing in the choir. Thank you. You volunteer for events. You, You serve on council or you have in the past. Or maybe you don't do any of those things at all, but you grew up in the church. You know the Bible stories. You've sung Jesus Loves Me a Billion Times. Uh, uh, And when we do the liturgy, you have it memorized. Those things are important. I'm thankful for you. I'm proud of you. We need volunteers. We need leaders to make this community work. Plus, it makes Pastor Chris and I feel good as pastors when we say things like, the Lord be with you. You don't need it in the bulletin. You don't need it on the screen. You don't need to Ron Burgundy it. Because you know it. That makes us feel good. The problem, though, the problem, though, is that you know who did and knew more than you ever will? Judas. Yes, that Judas. He was one of the twelve. He was called an apostle. He was given the power to preach and heal and cast out demons, and he did it. He got his feet washed by Jesus. He got to participate in the Last Supper. That Judas. We never think about that, do we? Now, I'm not saying that some of you are Judas, okay? Don't, don't, don't leave here tonight thinking the small, balding pastor called me Judas Iscariot. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying, though, is that Judas, and in fact, all of the disciples, thought they were golden thought everything was going great, that they were doing everything for the kingdom of God. In Luke chapter 10, they come back from casting out demons and healing people and preaching, and they're singing their own praises, and Jesus has to stop them in their tracks and say, no, don't rejoice in that. Rejoice that your name is written in heaven. These same disciples in multiple places have to be reminded that the last shall be first and the first shall be last. To borrow words from the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 10, those who think they stand take heed lest they fall. Monday, Thursday should slap us in the face because it should be the night for disciples to be broken of their presumed greatness. It is on this night that Peter swears he is too loyal to ever deny Jesus. We know how that goes. It's this night when Judas hands Christ over to the authorities because he has grown tired of Jesus not being the type of Jesus he wants. It is this night in which all the disciples say they will never deny or abandon our Lord, and yet they do. A few years ago, I heard about a church that was, (laughs) I don't know if I can even say this, that was teaching its people that Holy Communion is about pondering our innate goodness. I almost fell off my chair. Can you imagine that? That communion is about pondering your innate goodness. That's mad. Communion is not about pondering your innate goodness. It is for you to hear you are broken. You sinned today. You did yesterday. You will tomorrow. And at the table of the Lord, Christ actually announces this to you each time. 
When you come forward to receive communion, especially tonight, the mere fact that you step out of the pew, you you, uh, declare yourself a sinner. When you kneel at the rail with your hands stretched out tonight, you declare yourself as one who only lives by God's mercy given to you in his son. By, By taking the bread and cup on your lips, you say to all the world that I am a disciple of Jesus, but I am one who often doubts often abandons him, has maybe even betrayed and denied him, has hated my neighbor, and yet, and yet, hear this church, and yet, your Lord knows this and loves you anyways. Beloved church, set aside your quest for holiness tonight. Be awakened from a lackadaisical faith, overconfidence, Be transformed by the word of God and his grace that he gives to you. Because your only way to heaven, your only way to eternal life, your only way to comfort for your conscience that is is consumed with either being enough or not caring at all, is in Jesus who died for sinners. But only real sinners. Not fake ones. Real sinners. Sinners who know that grace is the only way. Mercy is our only food. Love from God is what keeps us going. Let him truly love you unto the end. Washing you in all his mercies by the blood which will be shed for you. Tonight is the night of mercy and grace poured out over you like the waters Christ used to wash those feet. You have been washed by him. You are his. That's what matters for you tonight. Let this sink in. That you have been redeemed by the one who came only for the irredeemable. Let that be so tonight. Thanks be to God. Amen.